the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Any vendor that we use in order to work with us, it's mandatory that they have to be integrated into our system. So meaning that the cases have to automatically come in where we request medical records, service that we use to request for medical records has to be integrated into our system. The billing has to be integrated into our system. If someone wants to work with you bad enough, they will figure out a way to integrate into your system. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. We're back on the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson, my friend, I'm sorry I was late to the call. I got called into a meeting and I couldn't get out of it. It went long. You're good, man. Adam and I had a nice 36-minute conversation about you know mass torts and a lot of other things that people are going to hear about on the podcast, so no issues. So uh, are, you, are you ready to go? Or are you, you're probably all stressed out or something, but you, you can decompress for a moment. You're good. I'm focused. I'm ready to go. I'm excited to talk, about, talk with Adam. All right. Well, you, you want to introduce him? Actually, since you've been talking to him for 35 minutes, why don't you go ahead and introduce him? All right. So our guest for today is Adam Krauss. I've been talking with him about injury stuff for, I don't know, 35 minutes now. We've been chatting a lot about business stuff, things that who knows, maybe we can release into a pop-up episode because a lot of cool stuff in there. But um, Adam is a Missouri guy. He, he went to UMKC. He is, I mean, I guess I would cat- categorize him as a mass torts guy after talking to him a little bit, but uh, I will let Adam talk about what his firm does because it's more than just that but adam welcome to the show appreciate it guys i look forward to being on here i i've I've listened to your show uh nearly every morning i've caught up on a lot of episodes let me tell you i found this a few months ago and i've caught up every time i go to the gym i pop this thing on on my airpods and i really like listening to it so i i really look forward to, to being a guest today isn't it funny how what a connection you can make with people through audio, through podcasts? It, it's almost like you start to feel you know the people. I have some people I listen to every week, and and I think there's just something about having people in your ear, and while you're doing something else, you just sort of over time, especially if you binge listen over a, a short amount of time, you feel like you get up to speed and you get to know them backwards and forwards. No question. I I think Joe Rogan and I, I I've listened to so many of his episodes that. Uh, I think you might know my name by now. So Adam, why don't you just, I guess, introduce yourself a little bit more, talk about starting your firm, you've got a partner, kind of how you got to where you are now. My name's Adam Krause. I'm one of the partners of the Krause & Kinson Law Firm. 
I guess something that's a little bit unique is that we actually started our law firm out of law school and uh, we've grown it since then. Uh, we have an office in North Carolina and we have an office in Missouri. So we have two two offices that uh, you know staff a, a few lawyers and uh, quite a few staff as well too. Um, we do mainly personal injury, uh, and then we do a, a large amount of mass torts as well, too. Um, so we're on the steering committee in one case, and, and we'll talk probably quite a bit about that. But Robert is my, my business partner, and uh, he and I met each other at UMKC Law School. We were actually, um, they had the, the mock trial teams, and so Robert and I were on the same mock trial team and we were trying fake cases uh kind of across the country on that and then we decided well i guess we could try these fake ones maybe we should try this out and do this uh do this together so we decided to start our own law firm out of school so talk to us a little bit about that every semester tyson and i speak to law students future grads about whether or not it's a good idea for law students to open up their own firm after passing the bar. Talk to us about the conversations you're having with Robert and how that came about. Yeah, so um, Robert and I worked for two very reputable firms in law school in the same disciplines or practice areas that we wanted to practice as, as a firm. When we both kind of talked about the pros and cons of starting our own law firm, I mean, to be completely frank, it came down to money and what we thought the firms were going to offer us in compensation. And we kind of started adding it all up. And we we're like, well, I think we could do this. What we did is we, we came out with a, a real, uh, actual, not like a business plan, but how we were going to go get business. A marketing plan is essentially what we uh, came up with. And, and, uh, and then we decided that we were going to, we were going to do it. Actually, this is a kind of a fun story. One of the guys that listens to this podcast, I know, and is active in your in your chat, is Mitch Jackson. And uh, I remember calling Mitch Jackson before I was a licensed attorney with Robert. We got him on speakerphone, and we said, "Mitch, here's our marketing plan. What do you think?" And he took the time out of his day. And I, I mean, this was just a cold call before Mitch was, uh, you know, Mr. Social Media, where everyone knew him. Um, and he took the time and he went through it, gave us the ideas, and he said, "Look, if you execute this, you'll get cases." And um, and we kind of used that marketing guideline as our as our bible going out of school, and and you know it it worked. I love that. And shout out to Mitch. Mitch is great. Uh, I think everyone that knows Mitch, is, they they love him. So, uh, and and that's just kind of the person Mitch is. He'll he'll uh, he'll take that call and he'll give you all the advice um, and and not charge you for it. So that's great. So I want, you to, I want you to talk about what practice areas you all do, and then I want you, because here's what I want you to do. I want you to get into the Syngenta stuff and talk about how you got into that. Yeah, so specifically, you know, one of the things that I look at when I get into a case, so, you know, we will certainly take car wreck cases. We take them all day long. We take, uh, you know, big personal injury cases. We try cases, uh, but we are into the, uh, types of cases that you could scale as well, too. So mass torts and class actions, uh, we'll get into those cases and we'll look at them very, very closely. Um, to give you an example right now, uh, in our North Carolina office, uh, we're representing uh, near well over a thousand people in a hog nuisance case where we are suing on behalf of these landowners against uh, a large uh, hog manufacturing facility. 
And so when I, when I look at cases, a lot of the times we, we look at, can we scale this? Can we apply our legal skills and have it apply to a lot of people? And one of the cases that we got into very early on, it must have been two weeks after we started the practice, was a uh, Syngenta corn litigation mass tort. And basically the crux of the case is that uh, the price of corn was falling across, the price of corn was falling from, it was like seven bucks a bushel down to 281 a bushel across the nation. And uh, it was all response, there was one responsible party. They introduced a genetically modified trait into the market improperly. And so um, by doing that, it kind of ruined our trade with uh, China and other countries as well too. And when we didn't have anyone that was willing to buy our corn, of course, supply and demand, uh, the price of corn fell. And so what we did is, you know, at that time, it was two weeks after we opened our practice, we didn't really have many, we didn't have many clients. And so, uh, you know, I hit the road in my truck and so did Robert as well too. And um, we met with a couple farmers that we knew and we, we told them about the case and said, hey, do you want to a participant they said yes and and we said can you introduce us to five of your you know favorite friends and uh favorite your farmer friends and and they would drive us to them and we'd go meet with them and they'd sign up and then it just became a gigantic snowball of uh people that wanted us to represent them in this case and, and one thing we we really knew these these folks i mean we we spent a lot of time on their actual farm and uh we knew that this was really putting the hurt uh on them and, uh, and that was important. I, and when it came down to picking bellwethers, which is the type of client that you would actually try or a lead plaintiff in a case, you know, we were able to get some of ours selected because we actually knew who these people were. This person was in charge of the water board. This person had some of the best yield in, in the entire country because he really focused on his crop and used cutting edge technology. He had his degree from Iowa State. And so when we're looking at these plaintiffs and it still goes down to, you know, looking at it, even in a, a simple, you know, car accident case, you really got to know your clients. In mass tort cases, you really especially at least need to know your, your lead plaintiffs who are going to represent you in those cases. And, and that's how we got them. We had, we ended up signing up more than thousand folks uh, in this Vincenzo corn litigation simply by relationships and spending time with people and, and, and peer hustle, I guess. How did you structure the workload? How did you structure between you and Robert, your partnership, how did you guys like take on responsibilities of running the firm? Yeah, that's a good question. So especially during that time, uh, and it, it still, we travel so much in our practice today. Robert was at a CMC in Ohio today. Uh, we were both in Boston and New York last week. Um, what we try to do is we try to have one attorney be the home base attorney. So making sure things are running operationally uh, at home in the firm in Kansas City. And then the other person is focusing on whatever needs to happen, you know, outside. And so that's how we did it. We, you know, one thing about Robert, he's, you know, the best partner, you know, you could possibly have is that we, we never complain about, oh, I don't want to do that task or that task. It's just, you know, attack and get things done. And that's from the get go. It's been like that. And I think that's really, really important um, when picking a partner, someone that's just selfless and doesn't just do the stuff they really want to do. Sometimes part of this job is tough and you got to attack it and do it. And so that's how we do it is we just, the person that's home base is kind of running operations, uh, you know, in Kansas City. And then if you're traveling or 
the you know the other person will be at home. That's that's how we like to work it. Hey Adam, so you all handle. I mean, there's similar types of cases, I guess, with the mass torts and the the injury stuff, but they're they're drastically different on with with how you handle them. But what may be more challenging is just getting those cases in general. So what have you found works best for you when it comes to getting cases? Yeah, so let me just take it uh, in two different folds. Uh, so the first one is mass torts. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that second. The first one, we'll call that you know, number two. We'll, we'll go down that track here in a minute. Um, when talking about regular personal injury cases, uh, when talking about car wrecks and uh, you know, dog bite cases, you know, we were talking about those, you know, how do you get those cases? And um, formerly in a different life, I was a, a pharmaceutical salesman. I would sell neurodrugs for a living. And one of the things we did is we tiered our doctors. So a tier one means that we had to, what do you call touch them at least once during a month. So a tier one is like, the in, in law land is someone that could refer you a whole lot of cases. So how are you going to get in front of them at least once? It could be, okay, we're going to be see them at a bar event. Uh, we're going to send them a newspaper article that says, hey, congratulations on your verdict. It could be a thank you card for the coffee that you had you know, two weeks before with that person, whatever it is. But you got to figure out one way to get a touch on that person every single month. So those are going to be your tier one uh, referral partners. Your tier two referral partners might be someone that you're going to uh, get a touch every quarter. This is someone that's maybe not going to give you a ton of referrals. Maybe you'll get a couple a year from them, but it's not going to be someone that's going to give you one a month. And then you have your tier threes that you just need to stay in front of hit on a few times a year. Uh, they may send you one case a year. And that's how, that's how Robert and I did it from the very beginning and how we do it uh, today is that we listed basically a hundred law firms or a hundred lawyers and we tiered them up and then we decided how are we going to get in front of these folks and how are we going to focus on it? And it has to be genuine and it can't be just completely manufactured. But people like if they, they have a verdict and you send them a newspaper clipping and, you know, a little letter about it or something that they might be interested in, you know, if they're interested in whiskey and you see an interesting article on whiskey, cut it out, send it to them. Hey, I was thinking about you. And that's, that's really how we get our car ride cases. That and our online presence as well too. And um, David Haskins runs our online um, and he does a great job over uh, at Haskins and company. But those two things are how we get the majority of our cases is that we really tear up our referral partners. And that goes to doctors and chiropractors and physical therapists. You got to tear those in there too. It's not, it's not just referral law firms, but actual doctors. I mean, you take every orthopedic surgeon in the city, you know, you could find a hundred of them and just go and meet with them. And those are sometimes your better cases. So, well, so for the mass tort cases and, and otherwise, there are vendors out there that you have to be very, very careful uh, in giving money. And I, and I say extremely careful. This is, uh, you will want to find a firm that really knows what they're doing when buying media for mass tort cases. You can get absolutely burned. And unless you are extremely experienced in this, I, I truly would recommend reaching out to, and I'm, and I'm happy to talk to people about certain vendors and how you buy media and things like that. But you have to know the landscape really well. You have to know the people that you can know and trust to actually place your media and, and get clients via mass torts. We get most of our cases from referral law firms. So 
law firms that place media and just send our send the cases over to us to get worked up. And you have to be extremely selective and, and you have to be extremely careful when you're doing that because you could get burned. And uh, so, and there's lots of different types of ways of placing media. And I, if you want to go into that, we can, but uh, for the mass tort stuff, it, it's usually straight dollars. You pay dollars, you get cases in, and, and that's how that works. Talk to us a little bit about your team, your office setup. I know you explained like the person on home base, but who else do you have working with you? Oh, we're, we're probably at about 10 employees or so right now uh, in our uh, Kansas City office. We have a lot of virtual employees, and um, I think virtual employees are great. So for our PI team, we have a case manager and then a legal assistant. Most of our folks do not have a legal background whatsoever. So they don't have a paralegal degree or anything like that. They've been trained uh, in our ways and mainly in our case management software. You know, that's, that's the important thing, setting that up appropriately to, to get your cases to turn. So we have those folks. And then uh, I have my North Carolina office, which has a lawyer in there. Um, we do have a paralegal in that office and, and two legal assistants as well, too. But most of our folks, we, we don't hire with a, a legal background. We hire energetic people that are, you know, you can just tell from the interview that this person wakes up and wants to actually do something and work hard. And th that's really the criteria that we have. And we feel like we can mold people around that and teach them how to you know, file cases and answer discovery and, and do things like that. But we just want motivated, extremely hardworking people that are, that are fun. That's, that's kind of what we're looking for. So Adam, how do you man manage your all's cases in your firm? Like what, what, what systems and technologies do you all use to, to, cause you're, I mean, we were talking about, and I'm not sure if this is a number you're comfortable with talking about, but the number of cases you bring in each, each month, it's, it's actually quite shocking. It's, it's a big number. So how are you, how do you manage all of that? And I don't mind sharing this is that, you know, we bring in probably close to about 400 cases a month across all different spectrums from our hog nuisance cases to our mass towards to our PI. I think the, the most important thing for us, we use Smart Advocate. That's our, our legal case management software that we use. What we do is we try to get everything integrated as possible. Any vendor that we use in order to work with us, it's mandatory that they have to be integrated into our system. So meaning that the cases have to automatically come in where we request medical records. Uh, the service that we use to request our medical records has to be integrated into our system. The billing has to be integrated into our system. And if they don't, and that's one kind of point for everyone that's listening, is that if someone wants to work with you bad enough, they will figure out a way to integrate into your system. We just force everyone to integrate with us you have to basically change your stuff to mold into ours. And that, and that has been a, the absolute game changer for us is that we just, you know, if, if they call and pitch us and they want to work with us, okay, this is the 10 things that I need you to integrate. This is how it needs to look. Um, and, and that's kind of how that works. Um, the other thing is that you, you said, how do you manage all this and make sure that nothing is falling through the press? Well, one is you have to assign someone that's responsible for ultimately obviously the lawyer is responsible for everything but you have to have a case manager or a paralegal that's responsible for a subset of cases and those subset of cases 
have to be there has to be a mechanism in place where it tells them uh, what's happening in the case. For example, is that if you haven't ordered medical records in a case, you need to know that. You need to know how long it's been, why you haven't ordered medical records. You need to know when the medical records have came in, have they been reviewed, have they been chronicled. And there has to be reporting that are sent to you every single morning with those parameters. The same thing with statute of limitations. You need to know a report and have it sent to you every Monday or whatever you want to have it. And it needs to be sent to you. And you know, okay, well, these 10 cases I need to have filed because that's when the SOL is. And we're, we're very structured on that where we have automatic reports sent to all sorts of people. And most people do their jobs off of the reports. And um, hopefully that answers a little bit of your question on how we do manage to keep track of everything, I suppose. I think that point you made about if people want to do business with you badly enough, then they will conform to your processes is really important. And I really hope people are listening to that. My question for you is how the hell do you create the demand so that 400 people want to follow your rules and systems every month? Yeah, so clients are different, is that the clients know the process, is that, you know, everyone has a general same process. You do a large intake, right, and then they sign your contract, and then, you know, the HIPAA releases, and um, and that's generally the same with every single law firm. So they they don't really know what to, to expect. They're going to follow your process in general. I think the more difficult people to convince are vendors that are going to help you. So if you have, say you want to text message all your clients and your CRM system doesn't offer it, well, you better go to a, mess, you know, to a message media or, or whomever it is and say, look, I want, I want to use you, but you got to make this work for me, uh, figure it out. I'm also going to this vendor and this vendor and this vendor, uh, whoever can adjust to to the way we're doing things is going to get the business. And I have found that the vendors are, are really willing to do that. It seems like everything's going really, really well for you. So what is something that you struggle with? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for us right now, right, is that, uh, and, I, and I think this is something with, with most firms, is that um, is when and if are we going to and um, the number of lawyers in our office. And uh, we have one that works in North Carolina with us. We have the uh, two of us in Kansas City. But I think there's always that, um, that part is, you know, when do you bring on another lawyer? I feel like staff has always been pretty easy. I kind of know when the breaking point is when we need, to, we need to add someone in our staff. Like I can feel that. And um, I think that is the harder thing in a law firm, at least for me as a business owner, is deciding when do we bring on another lawyer. And, um, and I think that's the next big decision that we have to make is that um, do we want to bring in another lawyer to you know, solely manage a certain subset of our cases? And, and we've talked about that a lot and we probably will here soon, but um, that, if I had a struggle, that would be it. When do you pull the trigger on that? Because uh, you know, you, you hope to hire people that are going to be with you for the next 40, 45 years. And, um, and so you want to make the right decision in the right time and, and be able to promise them work uh, 
uh, for the foreseeable future. I can't let those 400 cases a month thing go. Talk to me, Adam, about your processes for making sure that cases don't fall through the cracks. If I told my wife we're gonna handle 400 cases a month, I think her head would explode. Right. So, uh, yeah, so here's our process is that, um, and, and remember, they're in all different uh, facets. I don't know much about immigration law at all, um, and, and it may be different, but for us, you know, the, we need to have at the very beginning, uh, I look at it as um, a conveyor belt's the wrong, wrong word, but everything has to be uh, managed and systematized and scalable. So if you look at it, the first thing that you have is you have an intake sheet. The intake sheet has been, I mean, we're talking dissected down to the right questions that are when they answer them, it'll answer questions, you know, six months from now that are going to come up. And so that's, that's the first thing. And when they answer that, it automatically gets sucked up into our CRM system because if it's done via DocuSign, it gets sucked up. If it's, if it's done from one of our vendors, it gets sucked up. If it's done by a paralegal, she's doing it straight into our CRM system. So everything is right there. There's no paper. There's nothing. It, it's happening right there. And so that's the first thing. So that does is that triggers a status for someone to do something based on whatever was filled out into the intake sheet. Typically it's requesting medical records. And so someone gets on the phone and they call and they do a, a large debrief of a full medical history for say, uh, potentially the last 10 years. Um, and they do a full medical history and then they decide which medical records need to be ordered and if anything else needs to be ordered. Um, all of that right there, that, that entire part, every single faction of that is reportable. So how long was my retainer packet out? How long did it to come back in? Who ordered the medical records? How long does it take to order medical records? How long does it take for medical records to come back in? Which parts of the medical records are we missing? You know, are we missing the product ID or or missing, you know, pre-existing injury records or whatever it is, all of those have been programmed in via my CRM system where I get, I get a report that literally tells me everything. So if I see that medical records have not been ordered in the first five days, you know, it'll send me a red report that says, Adam, there's, here's the reason why. Uh, and then it'll be the staff's notes on why it hasn't been ordered. It might be, well, client's still treating, so we're not going to order medical records. Or it might be, uh, we're not ordering medical records because the client's going to bring them by herself. They didn't want to have the cost. So there'll be a reason why they're, they haven't been ordered. But everything in our firm, hopefully, you know, what we've tried to do is have systems in place that would give us alerts that tell us uh, if, if someone's lacking or something's not getting done. And then the second thing, too, is that we do weekly meetings with our staff and they have to bring together a report on things that they're going over and, and they'll bring up red flags and, and things like that as well too. It is all very uh, systematized is probably not the right word, but it's all very reportable. Everything is reportable. Uh, we can see it, you know, a report sent to us every morning. It just happened from our CRM system, if that makes sense. 
That's great. That's great. Um, were there any questions that you had for, for me or for us about practicing or anything we can help you with? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that most of you guys, I've, I've listened to a lot of the podcasts. So um, I, uh, I think both of you guys do a really, really good job of finding things out that I I've never even heard of. Right. So I knew of Infusionsoft, but you know, I didn't know of, what was it, Pipe Drive and some of the other ones I just recently heard. Um, so I, I guess my question is, is that you guys, uh, when looking at systemizing your firm and using things that are kind of automating your firm, um, do you guys do this you know, weekly? Is this a monthly thing? Are you always doing this? Is this your sole job? Or, or how do you partition that out? Because uh, it could be a nonstop thing. I mean, you really could... There could be one person solely at a law firm that only focuses on those things, uh, I think, easily. So our friend Chad Burton has put in a proposal to speak at MaxLawCon 2020 on getting lawyers to simply use the software that they already have. So I'm probably the last person to ask about this because I told Chad that I'm probably the one who needs that talk the most. But if Tyson were on, he would chastise you, chastise me about how I'm always going after the shiny object syndrome. And I do think that as I've matured, I've become more aware of the fact of, you know, if, if you're all in on a piece of software, to change is, is a big, big deal. My mindset lately has been that we should go for best in class. So whatever software does something the best, like we're getting ready <clears throat> to implement a net promoter score at various stages in our case handling. And we came across a piece of software that I think is going to do a really good job of it. It's got an open API. It's going to integrate with Zapier and all those things. So right now, my mindset is, how can I find the software that does it the best for the most reasonable cost that integrates with everything else that I'm doing and sort of have Zapier as the spinal cord for all the uh, other pieces of software that we do? So you're right. You could spend a lot of time um, and make it into a full-time job. Luckily for Tyson and I, we get to talk to smart lawyers like you every week who throw things at us or, you know, the Facebook group is obviously very uh, active. It's almost like a laboratory of best practices. And, and lately we've just been chronicling those things. And I personally was under a two year moratorium where I agreed to everyone in the firm that I wouldn't change any of our software for two years. And, and that's, that's been good for me because that's forced me to really dig in deeply on the software that we have and then make a good assessment as to whether or not, um, a change is warranted. I, I think that that's that's great advice, Jim. I think basically all everything you just said was awesome. Um, more specifically, though, I, I I like managing and doing that sort of stuff and building the systems, and so that's why I've built it into my calendar. And so every day at four o'clock, we're so, I'm supposed to be working on it right now, but Jim was late for the podcast, <clears throat> and so uh, this is the time that I spend on building. And so I spend an hour a day, which seems insane, but it's, trust me, it's, it's worth it in my opinion. And so I'm building or changing, or I'm not necessarily changing, but I'm evaluating systems on a, on a daily basis. And so I think it's, it's, it's just crucial. And so you're not going to do it unless you put it on your calendar to do it. That's why I've got it for every single day. Now, sometimes I'll get done after 30 minutes and I'll move on to something else. But the point is to, to, to focus on it every single day. And so um, that's something that, you know, um, Mike Albee and I were talking about the other day. We had a nice phone call because he wants to 
do a better job of building his systems. And I said, well, is it on your calendar? And he said, well, no. And it was sort of like this epiphany for him. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, I guess I've got to put it on my calendar because we're driven so much by our calendars on a daily basis that if it's not there, you're not going to do it. You are going to, if there's a space in your calendar, you're going to go to, you're going to go to lunch with a buddy of yours, or you're going to check your email, or you're going to do, fill that gap with something else other than building your systems. You're not going to do that unless you just happen to think of it at that time. So that's why you should put it on your calendar and work on it. And someone, if it's not you, someone at your firm needs to be working on it. So Mike Albee, he doesn't necessarily want to be the guy that's working on Filevine every day. So he is assigned it out where he, one of his employees, you know, once a week is going to focus on implementing things on Filevine. So we've got a channel in Slack that if we want to make changes to any of our systems, they can put it on Slack. I can take a look at it. If it's something I think we should change, then I do it. Another thing is, is that have a couple people that you can, you trust inside your firm that can make those small tweaks to whatever system you're using. So you're using Smart Advocate, which is a really cool system. I use Fileline, which is completely, you can change basically anything in it, which I love. And so we've got a, a guy on the medical team. He, he'll go in and if he wants to make changes, he, he, all he needs, he'll shoot me a quick message. Are you okay with this? I'll say yes or no. He, he, he'll make the change in a couple of minutes. And so don't just have it about you. Make sure someone else on your team can do it. So um, Jim, also, I think Jim's advice is great too, especially with Zapier. You, the whole analogy of Zapier is the spine of your firm is actually, I, I, I really like that, Jim, because Zapier is such a powerful tool. I think it's really cool. So hopefully I that answered some of your questions. Yeah, it does. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm super impressed too that you guys gave me a great idea of um, your, your guys' firm retreats that you do too is, is brilliant and something that I wish I would have honestly done years ago. I really do. I, I think that's so good. And we, we haven't done one yet, but it really gave me, Jim, I think it was you that I saw just got back from one. And I, I think that's just, that's a really good thing to do. I really do. All right. So we do need to wrap things up before I do. I want to remind everyone uh, to go and register for the conference. Uh, it's June 11th and 12th of next year. We are already in the planning stages. We are in the middle of picking speakers. We've got some speakers picked. We're, we're vetting others. We're still waiting for video submissions. So if you want to be a speaker, also go to the Facebook group. There's instructions. I've I put it under the announcements where you can figure out what the rules are of your video submissions, but do definitely check that out. And then again, if you're, if you're not in the Facebook group, go and, and join there because there's, there's a lot of great information being spread. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? So my hack of the week is Zapier. If you have not tried Zapier because you're intimidated, you think there's coding or other things that make it difficult that it's going to be above your pay grade, it's a little bit more complicated than email. And there's some really basic things you can do with Zapier. They have outlined all of the apps that integrate with each other. And just just and there's already a bunch of Zaps that are already built. Even if you just went into Zapier and use the templated zaps that they have to connect one piece of software to another. So for instance, you know, there's some emails that I don't really even want to see, but when the email comes in, it's tagged in Gmail and then it sends me a Slack. And so I don't even have to go looking for the email. I just know what I need to know based off that zap. I love hanging out in zap here. If you want to um, brainstorm or geek out on zaps, I'd be happy to do it, but just spend a little time with it. There's a free version of it that you can, get up to speed on it. And I think it's not nearly as intimidating as you might think. 
No, just get in and do it. I mean, it's it's it, the thing is though, it's like a rabbit hole. If you think Facebook or Twitter or, or social in general is just a a rabbit hole, just start learn how to use apps and you'll go down a rabbit hole. But the thing is though, it's productive work, and so it's really cool because you're you're saving yourself time and just effort, and it's just so wonderful. I love Zapier so much. Um, all right, so Adam, what is your tip or hack of the week for us? I've never used Zapier, so I'm I have homework to do. So I appreciate that. Um, I I have uh, two. So the pack of the week I could I could choose uh, uh, like an application. The first one is uh, I I started doing this like six months ago, and this is just this is one for personal, and then I'll give you one for business. Uh, first one is that I, I started using uh, My Fitness Pal like six months ago, uh, and that has been great for. For me, for, especially for someone that travels, it has made it easier for me to pick stuff out to eat and do and, and all that stuff. So I wanted to throw out that one. I, I tend to use it every day. So I thought that might be useful for people to check out. That's just for, you know, personal stuff. Uh, and the second one for business is that um, it's Upwork. And I know a lot of people will uh, know what Upwork is, but um, the way that I looked at Upwork at, at the very beginning is that I, I always looked at it like flipping houses. So if you're flipping houses and you want to you want to flip a house, what are you going to have? You're going to have a painter, you're going to have a plumber, an HV, HV, HVAC guy, maybe an electrician. You have someone that does how to do hardwood floors and carpets. I looked at it very similar the same way on Upwork is that I tried to develop my dream team. So if I wanted to have someone help build me an integration, I know who to go to. If I wanted someone to help me with a graphic design, I know who to go to, you know, with a, a letter, whatever it might be. I kind of have my dream team of people that I could just quickly do it. And uh, I don't have to mess around with it. It's someone who specializes in it. That's all they do. Um, and they're going to do it way better than me. So uh, Upwork and develop your, your dream team. You know, my fitness pal is awesome app, by the way. I, I, it's really good. It helps you track your calories. It's, I mean, it, it, it says my fitness pal. So it's, you think it's just about working out. It's not, it's, it, it really lets you track your food. Um, a lot of the foods are already built in there. So if you're eating a Snickers, the calories are already built in. So you don't have to search for it. So it's, it's really freaking awesome. Um, it's really good. Uh, so my tip is going to be more on the personal side too. You did have a business side. I love that. I love love work. Um, but I was so over the weekend, my wife and I and the kids, we went to Indiana, Indianapolis. Um, why? It's just because she we were wanting to take the kids on a weekend trip somewhere uh, fun. And she found that Indianapolis was cool for kids. It really was. It was fun. Um, but my camera on my phone stopped working, which I, I still can't figure out why. But so I had to download a camera app. And it was so Jim. You remember those little disposable cameras back in the day where like it was like the ones where you little you'd wind it up they're like little green ones and like you take a picture and then you'd have them developed later on do you remember those yeah those are fun people would put them on tables at weddings yeah yeah so adam i don't know if you're old enough to but like you don't seem like you're you know, as old as jim jim's old as dirt but the it's it's one it's a camera like that but it's for your phone it's an app and so when you take a picture, like some of the pic, some of the pictures are overexposed, like because there's too much light in it. So you can see, but it's also got that little like um, date and timestamp in the bottom right corner. It's just a cool. It's it's nostalgic. It's it's really kind of neat. So and you have the same coloring that you have from those old the, those old disposable cameras. It's really neat. Really neat app. It's called Huji, 
H-U-J-I, because I think that the old ones used to be Fuji cameras, those are green ones, and so it's just a play off of that. So Fuji, H-U-J-I, a lot of fun. It's a cool little camera. So um, it, whenever you open it, it looks a lot like it too. So it's kind of neat. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it very much. Good job, guys. Thanks, Jen. Have a good week. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.